Good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to Luke chapter 5 and verse 12. Luke 5, verse 12. And we're going to look at that in just a few moments. But first, I'd like to share a few thoughts with you that I hope will be a help and encouragement to you. This last week has been the first anniversary of my wife, Helen's death. When I came into work on Thursday here, there were bunches of lovely flowers for me. Wasn't that thoughtful and kind? I'm going to read a verse, and then I'm going to say a few words to you. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Encourage one another with these words. I was with Helen when she breathed her last on this earth and it was about four o'clock in the morning and a passage from scripture came to my mind that mentions four o'clock, albeit in the afternoon, but I'm a preacher so I can move things around a little bit. (laughs) But It's not often that you get four o'clock mentioned in the Bible, is it? And this passage came to mind that I'd like to read for you now. The next day, John the Baptist was there with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by and he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Jesus saw them and said, What do you want? And they said, Teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where Jesus was staying. And they spent that day with Jesus. It was about four in the afternoon. That's nice, isn't it? I saw Helen take her last breath on earth, and I didn't see her take the next one, but it was in the presence of Jesus. And she spent the rest of that day with Jesus. And I'm thinking she had a better day than I had. And I was so glad that she was at peace. I've often figured that being married to me must be pretty good. (laughs) But not as good as being with Jesus. And she spent the rest of the day with Jesus. And the book of Revelation tells us that it's a long day. There's no night. For God himself is the sun and glory of heaven. So she lives in the light and love and glory of God forevermore. Recently, someone speaking about Helen said that folk of Helen as being dead. And I was shocked. (laughs) It never occurred to me. I never think of Helen as dead. I know she died. I was there. But she's not dead. She's not dead. As Jesus said, 
I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. Helen was alive, she died, and now she's more alive than she's ever been. She was lovely, and now she's more lovely than she's ever been. And though I am sorry for myself because I miss her, I am more glad for Helen. For not only is she free from that increasing weakness and illness, she's been redeemed to perfect health. And she now does perfectly what she was made to do. And what, incidentally, you were made to do, so pay attention because you're about to hear the meaning of life (laughs) in six words. Worship God, serve God, and enjoy God. And by enjoying God, that doesn't just mean that it includes in moments of ecstasy and worship, as we've had so wonderfully this morning. To enjoy God is to enjoy all that God gives us. When you're enjoying life, you are enjoying God. When you're enjoying people, you're enjoying God. When you're enjoying creation, you are enjoying God. One day I will see Helen again, and together with all God's people, we will spend the day with Jesus. It's an unending day. And you know now what we're going to be doing. We will be worshipping God, serving God, and enjoying God together forevermore. Let's just have a moment's quiet in case we want to say something to God or maybe God wants to lay something on our hearts. Just a moment and then we'll continue. Amen. So let's turn to Luke chapter 5 and verse 12, and I'll read this passage for us. And where it mentions leprosy, it merely means all sorts of different skin diseases. Luke 5 verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. The Jews considered leprosy to be the most unclean of all diseases. They believed it made you spiritually unclean. So you could not enter a synagogue, you could not go to the temple, you could not present sacrifices for worship. It meant, in effect, you were unclean and you could not worship God. You were separated from God. You were cut off from God. 
What a terrible thing. They believed that leprosy made you physically and ceremonially unclean. You couldn't be close to people. You certainly couldn't touch anyone. You couldn't live at home. You couldn't even enter the town or the village where you lived. You were put on the outside. You were an outcast. And often people would point at you in an accusing way. They would certainly avoid you if you were anywhere near them. Some might even throw stones at you to keep you away from them. And really, you only survived by begging. Lepers were lonely. If you were a leper, you would not be here in church. If you were a leper, you would not be going home after the service. You would not even be allowed to enter into Crawley or wherever you live. You would have to be on the outside. You could not approach people. And every day you would be dependent on begging and charity to survive. You, you would be an outcast. You would be untouchable. You would be poor and you would be lonely. What sort of life is that? Is that the abundant life that God came to give us? No wonder this man begs Jesus to make him clean. You might want to ponder why he doesn't say heal him. He says make him clean. Another time, pay attention, back. Being unclean meant he was separated from God and from other people. He can't cleanse himself. He is alone. And then he comes to Jesus. And Jesus makes him clean. Jesus restores him to God and to other people. Now because of Jesus, he can begin to live that life that God wants us all to live. Because of Jesus, he can go to the synagogue, he can go to the temple, he can offer sacrifices, he can approach God, he can worship God. Because of Jesus, he can go home. He need no longer be alone. And this leprosy, this skin disease, this sickness is a picture of sin. This sickness is a picture of sin. For like leprosy, sin separates. God is one. And yet mysteriously, and what a mystery it is, he is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. One God, three persons which we call the Trinity. Father, Son and Spirit are one in purpose and love. There is no discord between Father, Son and Spirit, only harmony. There is no division between Father, Son and Spirit. They are a unity. There is no chaos amongst them. There is order and harmony. And God's creation, the whole of creation, is a reflection and a revelation of that. 
of God's harmony. In Genesis chapter 1, God speaks to the chaos, disorder, and it says he makes cosmos, and the word cosmos means order. God takes chaos and brings about cosmos, order, to reflect himself, Father, Son and Spirit, orderly. In Genesis 1, we see there is diversity, but no division. The world that God makes is like Father, Son and Spirit in perfect harmony. In the Garden of Eden, we see that harmony between man and God. Man walks with God, talks with God, they have fellowship together, they have a lovely time together. And then between Adam and Eve, they live together as one in love. And between man and creation, there is harmony. Adam and Eve are given rule over creation to tend it and care for it. And creation will gladly give up its fruit to meet man's needs. It's a picture of God. Father, Son and Spirit, creation in harmony. No division, no separation. But then we get to chapter 3. And there is discord, division and chaos. Man is no longer walking with God but hiding from him behind a tree. Adam and Eve are ashamed. Adam is blaming Eve and Eve is blaming a serpent and they are divided. And creation no longer easily gives up its fruit. There are thorns everywhere. The wonderful life that God intended for us has gone. And the cause is sin. Sin is not just doing wrong things. Sin is wronging God. It's personal. Adam and Eve have rebelled against God. And now sin divides and separates man from God, us from each other, and ourselves from creation. Everything is spoilt. Sinful man can no longer walk hand in hand with a holy God. A man has to leave the garden. He's on the outside, the village, the town. He is an outcast. He is unclean. And we see sin's divisive and corrosive nature everywhere we look, don't we? In greed and selfishness and envy and pride and prejudice and injustice. And it divides poor from rich, black from white, men from women, free from slave, Jew from Gentile, the weak from the strong and powerful. We see division between nations, between peoples, within our families, and even in our own hearts we see sin at work, not at ease, even with ourselves. We are separated from God, from each other, and from creation. The leper cries out to be made clean, to be restored. And Jesus restores him, and Jesus can restore us to a right relationship with God, with each other, and with creation. Jesus came to bring harmony, 
peace and order to life, to creation, and to our lives. Life that reflects God, Father, Son, and Spirit in harmony. Many in Jewish society would have pointed accusingly at leopards and make them outcasts. But Christianity isn't about pointing out people's sin. It's about pointing people to a saviour who forgives sin and can make us clean. Christianity isn't about casting sinners out. It's about welcoming everybody in and introducing them to a saviour who forgives sin and can begin to restore that harmony and peace and love of God to our lives and our relationships. Following this story in Luke 5 verse 20, Jesus brings healing to a paralysed man and he says to him, your sins are forgiven. Jesus has authority to forgive sins. Christians aren't better than other people. Christians are simply those who have recognised, yeah, we are sinners. We have sinned against God. But we have acknowledged that and we have cried out to God, save us, make us clean, forgive us our sins. And Christians are those who have been forgiven. We are those who are being restored to God, in our relationship with him, we're being restored. Here we are in church to one another. We're being restored to creation. We should be taking a lead in caring for the world, not abusing it. We are learning to worship God. We are learning to serve God. We are learning to enjoy God and to govern his world wisely. Once when I was a church minister... I put traffic cones all around the church. You could do that on our church. It was a smaller church. Now, don't ask me where I got the traffic cones from. <laughs> Let's just say it was one of those wild, wild deacons meetings the night before. <laughs> I also put various other bits of building equipment around uh, the church and inside. It was to help remind us as we came to church that we are a work that is unfinished. There is still building going on. We are a work in progress. And unlike some builders who only turn up occasionally, the Spirit of God is at work in God's people every day and every moment every day, helping us to worship God, to love one another and care for creation, changing us into the very likeness of Jesus Christ himself. Perfect peace, order and harmony. We are growing together to learn to worship and to love each other. Learning to love ourselves. Learning to love our neighbour. Learning to love our enemies. Now, we might imagine that after Jesus said, be clean, the man could go back into town and go and see his family and go home. No, he couldn't. In fact, it would be eight days before he could do any of that, before he could be declared clean. Verse 14, Jesus says, 
don't tell anyone, go and show yourself to the priest and offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now, does anyone know what that ritual was and what those sacrifices were that this man had to offer? No? No, neither did I. But I know someone who does. Okay, Google. Where in the Bible does it say what sacrifices are needed for skin diseases? Leviticus 14. So let's turn to Leviticus 14. Thank you, Google. Oh, he didn't say it. There we go. Leviticus 14, you'll find it amongst the crisp white pages of your Bible. I think it's the third one in. I can't remember myself. Don't look at me. I'm searching. Got it. Luke 14. I mean, you can just read that passage in Luke, can't you? Or you can think about it and you can dig a bit deeper and say, well, what were those things that he had to do? Maybe there's something uh, in a precious nugget there and we've got to dig a bit deeper to find it out. Leviticus 14, I'm just going to read the first three verses. The Lord said to Moses, these are the regulations for any diseased person at the time of their ceremonial cleansing. When they are brought to the priest, the priest is to go outside the camp and examine them. If they have been healed of their defiling skin disease, the priest shall order that two live clean birds, some cedar wood, scarlet yarn and hyssop be brought for the person to be cleansed. If you read on, you will find that there are two birds. One is killed and one is set free. You will find there is a scarlet, a deep red cord involved. And you will find that a blameless, rather a blemish-free lamb must be sacrificed before this man can be declared clean. The leper has been captured and confined by leprosy. If he is to go free like the bird, another bird must die. If he is to be declared clean and restored to life as God intends, then a blemish-free lamb must be slain and the blood is going to be daubed on all the extremities of his body as a symbol of being covered in the blood of the lamb in order that he is clean and set free to live, that he is restored to God, to man and to creation. Excuse me. By the blood of the Lamb, he is cleansed. We need to go to Leviticus to see that. We need to read often. We need to study from time to time. The Old Testament hints at what the New Testament makes clear. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He can't just ignore our sins or sweep them under the carpet, for God is just. And there is a price to be paid. The law must be met. The wages of our sin is death. And someone else must die if it's not to be us. And God does not want it to be you and I to suffer the consequences of our sin. But Jesus was willing to die for us on the cross. The Lamb of God who takes away your sin and mine.
In doing so, Jesus atoned for our sins, that we might be forgiven. And I want you to imagine the word atone. A-T-O-N-E. Can you see it in your mind? Now divide it into two words after the T. What two words have you got now? That's handy, isn't it? At one. Sin divides. Jesus restores and unites. He atones for our sin and in so doing makes us at one with God. At one with each other and at one with creation. To receive this gift of life that God wants and intends for every one of us, we need to do what the leper did. First, we need to recognize that we are unclean, that we are sinners. It's not easy because the world isn't going to tell you, are they? They're going to offer you excuses for the things that you do wrong, as Adam and Eve did. But God held them accountable for their sin, for falling short of his glory, for not loving him as he should, and for breaking his commands. And you and I are held accountable as well. So we must confess that we are sinners in need of forgiveness. And like the leper, we must then believe that Jesus is the one who can cleanse us. There are many people claiming to help you in life, but we believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and makes us alone at one with God, each other, and creation. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and we must believe that. Unlike the leper, we do not need to beg Jesus He is willing. That's why he went to the cross for you. He is willing. The leper wanted new life. He thought Jesus could offer it to him. And Jesus did. We must turn from all that we know that is wrong and turn to Jesus who can make everything right. He atones for our sins. God made you to be like him. God made us to be like him. To be at one with him, to be at one with each other, to be at one with creation. To live in harmony. A reflection of the harmony of God himself, Father, Son and Spirit. We have all rebelled and sinned. There is disease, disease, dis-ease within us and between us. Division, suffering and loneliness. We cannot cleanse ourselves. But Jesus is the sinless Lamb of God who paid the price for our sins and by his death we might be forgiven. And now, the risen Lord offers to all who repent and believe in him the gift of life in all its beauty and fullness. Let's pray together. What is God saying to your heart?
Is confession in order? Is praise in order? Amen. The two entrance halls, there are these leaflets, booklets, uh, that will tell you about Jesus and includes a prayer at the end. If you're in that place where you want a new life, the life that Jesus offers, you could say that prayer and it's the promise of God that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So do take one of these, they're free. And we've got an Alpha course coming up in the middle of April and uh, it's going to be run on a Wednesday during the day, on a Thursday in the evening for 10 weeks and you can come along to some of that or all of that and you can ask questions and you can find out more about Christianity for yourself. You'll be very welcome. Thank you.